This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch Fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Sad but true. You know, hey, it was baby Jordan. But uh, I was in row eight at the draft party on the summit floor. I think um, video evidence will probably show I was the first one to jump out of my seat. In disgust when they called Robert Ory's name as the 11th pick of the 1992 draft. Uh, that was 20 years ago. It's hard to believe. I, I remember that like it was yesterday. But uh, I actually got the chance to talk to Robert about a week ago uh, and confess my crime, and he got a kick out of it uh, and remembered the reaction from the Houston crowd uh, quite well, actually. And uh, Robert Ory, honestly, one of the best interviews out there, uh, has great stories to tell, loves the city of Houston, loves uh, the Rockets. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with him. And uh, same thing here with my um, guest today. Again, David Weiner returns. Uh, you know him as Bema Thug. And he is an attorney here in Houston, pretty much is as on top of the salary cap matters for the Houston Rockets as you can possibly be. Uh, pretty much knows all the ins and outs and has some great insight with all the things that have gone on uh, lately. David, thanks for joining me. Uh, pleasure to be back. You know, it was two weeks ago that we did this, our first podcast, and uh, my goodness, I mean, it's incredible the amount that has changed uh, for the Rockets in that two-week span. We've had three trades. Um, they've signed a, a player to an offer sheet, a free agent, and they have added four new players uh, through the draft, three uh, mid-first-round picks, and uh, Daryl Morey has been busy. Oh, yeah. No, no, no doubt about it. Uh you know, if, if there's one thing you, you can't accuse him is uh, resting on his laurels. <laughs> so yeah, we have a lot to dive into here. Um, you know, first of all, let's let's talk a little bit about the draft. Uh, you know, I think when you look at this draft, given how that week went uh, for draft draft week, I mean, the, the the expectations on the Rockets were enormous. I mean, they had pretty much talked to every single team in the top ten, um, and they were national news. I think they were on ESPN daily uh, the entire week and expectations were huge so i think you know i look at the draft how, what ended up happening and i actually find myself liking all three picks and and feeling a disappointment um, over what actually occurred uh, and, and we'll dive into them i mean obviously i like some of those picks better than others but uh you know we can go ahead and, and dive right in but uh, you know a lot of people know kind of what happened i mean i've talked to a lot of people um, you know, that night at the Toyota Center, which is where I was. And, uh, you know, the Rockets felt that, you know, they needed to have a deal done two to three hours before the draft. They needed to be squared away. And what they did have squared away was uh, a deal with the Kings at, at the fifth pick. Um, and it just, they, they knew before the draft happened that it wasn't going to trigger because um, the Kings wanted Thomas Robinson. And he was, you know, initially a few days ago, they thought he was going to go number two. To the Bobcats, and once the Bobcats did the right thing, which was take uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, um, the Rockets knew it wasn't going to work out. They knew Barnes then would not be available, or that, excuse me, that Barnes would be available at seven, which would knock out the Warriors, uh, and nothing was was there for them. You know, everyone came in kind of assuming that a deal would likely be struck for a top ten pick, um, and you know, the wide speculation was we were trying to get into the fifth pick or whatever to, to take Andre Drummond. Do you still think that he was the guy they were trying to get, or was there another name out there that wasn't kind of garnering the same attention? Michael Kidd Gilchrist. That, that's who they wanted as high as two. That's why they were uh, shooting to get up there. Now, I don't know. I mean, that's interesting, right? Because obviously that's a small forward. You've got Chandler Parsons there. You've got Marcus Morris and all kinds of trade possibilities down the line. But whether they were – 
they viewed him as their guy or he was uh, simply the trade piece for a Dwight Howard trade or something else. They were, they wanted Michael Kidd Gilchrist. They loved him. Uh, now there was a chance as well, had they gotten to five, um, that they would have gotten him because the only thing that would have triggered the Rockets getting up to five was if Thomas Robinson had gone two or he, if he had gone in the top four at all. Um, and, what I was told was at five, the Rockets would have taken any of the top five guys. Well, I only know four of those guys, and that's Anthony Davis, who was clearly going to um, be off the board at one, Thomas Robinson, who had to go in the top four for that trade to even trigger, uh, then Kid Gilchrist and Beal. So the fifth guy could have been Drummond that the Rockets would have taken. They they felt comfortable in the fifth spot for whatever reason. Uh, could have been Waiters, could have been Barnes. I don't have that exact answer yet. Um, but they were content to move up to five regardless, assuming that Thomas Robinson had gone two. But I, I got to tell you, they, they knew early on, from what I under, understand, uh, Les Alexander, Daryl Morey, um, those guys, it, it was a, more of a laid-back atmosphere by the time the actual draft started because you know they weren't scrambling on the phones to, to make things happen because they already knew that the best laid plans were pretty much torpedoed. Um, you know, they knew Robinson, excuse me, that Kid Gilchrist at that point was going to go number two to the Bobcats, uh, and that the way the dominoes were going to fall, Robinson at five, Barnes at seven, um, that they were, you know, pretty much out of luck. But, you know, I, I think it's an interesting to think that possibly Kid Gilchrist could have fallen to five had Thomas Robinson gone two, because you, you tend to think Washington would have taken Beal, uh, regardless at three, and the question is, the Cavs, would they have still gone Waiters or Barnes at four um, rather than taking Kid Gilchrist? That, that's just that's a question that I have. I don't know what they would have done, but the Rockets could have gotten a steal uh, at five with Kid Gilchrist had Thomas Robinson gone two. I mean, listening to Maury's post-draft conference, it sounded like, or maybe it was on some of his radio interviews the next day, it almost sounded like uh, he thought that picks two through six in whatever order were the next guys they had rated. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, kind of thinking it might have been Lillard, Damian Lillard, who, who I, I personally love. I think he's, he's going to be a terrific point guard in this league. You're right. That could have been the guy as well. It, to me, it, it seemed unlikely, but, uh, just given the fact that they had Dragic, but if this draft taught us anything, it's what you've been saying all along. Daryl Morey to the extreme. Uh, we'll go best player available. I mean, uh, you know, we'll talk about Terrence Jones here in just a little bit, but Terrence Jones, the pick at, at 18, I don't think anything will highlight that anymore. I will never again, uh, unless this team already has a couple superstars going into the draft, will I ever think they will consider need at all. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I don't know why you would think that uh, Terrence Jones wasn't wasn't high on our respective draft boards. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so let's, you know, we got down to pick 12. Um, you know, they took Jeremy Lamb. You know, speaking for myself, I, I was, I, I was not disappointed. I he just wasn't, uh, the guy I wanted. Initially, I wanted John Henson. I had Tyler Zeller second. And then Lamb was my third as far as available players. But I do think, um, Daryl was very wise here. And I obviously it turned out that that's the reason they made that Dallin Bear trade going from 14 to 12. Um, was that they knew that the whoever slid out of that, you know, tier one of shooting guards, they wanted that player. They, they knew they could get a big, uh, at 16 and eight and 18 or, or at least one in there. Uh, and they did, that was the right move. Had they taken a John Henson there, which I, th- I think would have been a good pick, uh, they certainly wouldn't have had a chance at Jeremy Lamb, um, you know, Dion Waiters, Terrence Ross, Austin Rivers off the board already. So they, I think they made a very solid pick here. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, like you said, you know, Lamb was a guy, you know, a lot of mock drafts had going, you know, number eight overall. And, you know, he, he slid. I mean, they're, they're, he and Terrence Ross, Austin Rivers, um, Dion Waiters were all kind of ranked relatively similarly, um, as, as far as shooting guard prospects. So for him to slide to 12 and to be able to get the last Kind of top wing on the board with with plenty of bigs to spare when your when your next picks came up it was just that was just great draft strategy. I, I think he has a few knocks, um, but there's a lot to like. I think uh, you, you look at him. Uh, obviously, was a, a 
you, you know, won the championship his freshman year. Um, you know, didn't have Kemba Walker, I should say, his second year and, and struggled. I mean, he didn't necessarily struggle, but the team wasn't anywhere near as good uh, his sophomore season. But still, he averaged almost 18 points a game. Uh, excellent mid-range uh, score. I think he hit almost 48% from the field overall. Uh, you know, his his freshman year, I think he was th- roughly 37% from deep, and then he, he dropped his sophomore year. But he shoots uh, really well from the free throw line. I mean, he's the guy who can shoot the ball. Uh, so that's uh, great. But I think you've, you know, people compare him to Kevin Martin. I don't see that at all. I, I think offensively, uh, he's gifted, uh, similar to Martin. He can score. I don't think he's as gifted as Kevin Martin. Um, but he's athletic and he's got a terrific wingspan. I mean, it's, that's pushing seven feet. Uh, he's got some defensive potential. It's not, he's not there yet, but, uh, I think, I, I think it's a, it's a very good pick. There's, unlike past picks, this is a pick that has a real upside in my view. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to take him maybe at least a year to figure it out at the next level. You know, he definitely needs to gain some weight. Um, you know, he, he's probably in for a rude awakening early on in his rookie year probably get pushed around a lot but you know once he he gets in the weight room and kind of gets the knack for the pro game yeah i I agree i think you know he's a potential 20 point per game score in the nba (laughs) yeah and you nailed it on the uh on the weight issue i uh you know i was i was coming around the hall towards the the press conference room the day they were going to introduce the the rookies and he was coming out of the elevator um i mean i i I happened to be walking behind him to get you know walked past him to get to the the press conference and just amazed. I mean, he is skinny. He's going to have to put on some weight. I mean, he's going to have a real hard time. Uh, you know, somebody like Kobe or LeBron posts him up. There's going to be real uh, issues early on. He's got, he's going to have to uh, really hit the weight room for sure. But uh, I really like that pick. I think he's very athletic, got a lot of potential. Uh, pick 16. This was a shock to me, to be honest, but uh, you know, Royce White at Iowa state, Loved this pick. Loved it as soon as it was made. It was a, like I said, it was a shock. I thought for sure Tyler Zeller was going here uh, after Henson went 14th to the Bucks. Uh, Zeller was still on the board at 16. I think again the Rockets made a very smart move. Um, it, it turned out that they really didn't have. I mean, they, they obviously liked Royce White better than Zeller, but they thought they had pegged the draft that uh, you know the Mavericks at 17 wouldn't take Zeller, so they would get him at 18. Um, and it didn't work out that way. Obviously, the Mavericks made a trade with the Cavs, which which uh, stung the Rockets. But you know, Royce White, this pick, uh, very interesting to me. He's got he's got issues. He, he can't shoot free throws. Uh, he's I think a, a hair under fifty under fifty percent. Um, you know, I think he's he's pretty turnover prone. Um, and uh, you know, I think defensively, he's he's got a little bit of ways to go. He's not he's not bad. He's certainly uh, I think. A, decent defender but i think he's got to get better but what a unique player i mean i think he has i don't want to say star potential i but he does i mean it feels like he has uh, the potential to be something better i think he's a little bit slow um you know he's not he's not uh, quite like a barkley in his prime but he reminds you of that and that this is a guy who's 6'8 260 big strong guy who can handle the ball attack the basket makes it very difficult for defenders uh, I love the pick. What was your reaction? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a similar reaction to you. I was a little shocked when I when I first heard it, especially since you know, for anyone who, who listened to our last podcast, I'm uh, I was a big Tyler Zeller guy, and was actually overjoyed when I realized the Sixers were taking Mo Harkless at 15. I, I thought, wow, what, you know, what fortune, you know, Tyler Zeller fell fell to us at 16. Let, all right, let's let's get this pick in. And when uh, when I heard Royce White, my first reaction was, oh, no, it's not Tyler Zeller. But, uh, you know, really quickly, you know, within a, two minutes, I, I said, okay, you know, the, this is a guy with top ten talent. Um, obviously, they didn't think the red flags were, you know, outweighed the, the benefits of taking him at 16. I think that the fact that a lot of mocks had him, a little bit lower than that uh, may have colored my my opinion at the time, but you know the more I'm, uh, you know the the more I see of him, you know I'm a UT guy, so I got to to watch some Big Twelve basketball. You know he's enormously talented. You know I, I think um, the LeBron comparisons are completely unfair. Uh, I think you know, he's somewhere in between a, an Anthony Mason or a you know a, a Boris Diaw with the with the Suns when he was at the height of his game. 
You know, there's a, actually a great uh, thread on Royce White started back in March, I think, by Carl Herrera. <clears throat> it's in the NBA draft forum. But, uh, you know, we talked about Royce White. He was pretty much a guy that everyone was uh, tempted by. You know, they, they thought, hey, this could be a guy that Daryl Morey really likes. You know, it was hard to say given a lot of mock drafts were putting him in the 20 to 25 range. You know, you, you thought maybe, you know, 14 or 16 would be a little high for him. But uh, there's a post in there by, I think, A. Elliott, a guy who I really respect. I don't know if it's in that thread, but it's certainly on the board. And, uh, you know, before the draft, he said, you know, you look at all the prospects and you you look at, um, you know, what they can do and what they've done in college level. And he said, if there's one guy that you think really has star potential, um, you know, of course, outside of the Anthony Davis and, and, and you know, your top two or three guys, um, it's Royce White. I mean, he's a guy who has – Led his team. He, he wreaked havoc against some of the biggest, uh, schools in the country against Kentucky, can, Connecticut, uh, Kansas. I mean, he's done some, some damage and, uh, he's going to be a load. I, I mean, I think, you know, initially early on, he, the, the speed of the game will be in a little bit of adjustment for him. I mean, I, as far as running the show, I, you know, I think it'll be, you know, he's going to have to learn a little bit here at, at the NBA level, but he's got NBA size right now. I think that's a guy, uh, you know, I'm crossing my fingers the Rockets don't trade him. And again, you know, if a star player becomes available, then you have to look at everything. But Royce White is a guy I'd like to see stay here in Houston. Yeah, and no, I, I agree that you, you know, the, the Rockets as constructed today, as opposed to maybe in two weeks, um, can't afford to just take low ceiling guys. I think that they they need to take some risks and, you know. Like you said, you know, Royce White's ceiling is, is as high as, as you could possibly get for anyone available in the mid first round. So, uh, definitely a, a risk worth taking. You know, unfortunately, uh, yeah, it, it seems just as, as, you know, Daryl Moore and the Rockets kind of outflanked the Phoenix Suns to move up to number 12 and get Jeremy Lamb. I think they themselves may have been outflanked by the Mavericks and the, and the Cavaliers. Um, with the 17th and 18th pick, the um, Mavs trading 17 uh, down for multiple picks from Cleveland, and Cleveland snatching Tyler Zeller. I think, you know, if, if you can read between the lines of what the Rockets are, Rockets have been saying or not saying, it, it, at least my personal opinion is, is they were they were hoping Tyler Zeller would be there at 18, so they could snatch him up. In which case, I think probably the public perception of this draft will be a lot different because they will have added a center instead of another. Six eight six nine power forward. Um, obviously, I was disappointed that Zeller went off the board before we could take him. But uh, you know, at eighteen, I actually, you know, all joking aside about Terrence Jones, we kind of made some, you know, offhand comments about him before. When when Tyler Zeller went off the board, if you're if you if you look at the talents remaining, yeah, a, a Jared Jared Solinger. Uh, Perry Jones, either one of those guys may have been a good selection at 18. Both of those guys had some serious medical, uh, red flags. The Jared with his back and, and, and Perry Jones with his knee. Um, you know, no such red flags with Terrence Jones. It, when you, when you combine the medical issues with the talent issues, I think he was pretty clearly the best player available. And I know you touched on taking best player available and it's, you know, people throw it around and go, who cares? I don't want six, nine power forwards, but this team can't afford to take inferior players. And at 18, Terrence Jones is, is a pretty good value. Well, you know, I'll take you through what I thought at the time. I, you know, Terrence, the reason I really wasn't high on Terrence Jones is not because he's not a good player. I mean, I think Terrence Jones is a very good pick. It's that I'd be okay with this pick if you're moving Patrick Patterson out or you're moving uh, Scola and, and someone else out is something. It's just such a log jam. And I, I looked at Terrence Jones being out of Kentucky, uh, you know, measuring six eight without shoes, you know, just like Carl Landry, just like Patrick Patterson. I don't know what Marcus Morris measured, but it, it's got to be similar. And I do think Marcus Morris is a little bit of a different player, but it's still so similar that I said to myself, and you and I talked about this off, you know, off air, um, before I said, you know, if Daryl Morey takes Terrence Jones, this is back when we had two picks. I mean, he's just going to be typecast, period, because the the 
the view on Daryl was already that he was in love with these six foot eight, six foot nine power forwards, slightly undersized, but strong, active, um, you know, can score, are versatile. That's what he's been about. So I don't think they, let me, I will say this. They did want Zeller at 18, but Jones is a guy they're high on. What they end up doing here, I don't know whether they're going to trade Jones. I mean, obviously they're trying to trade Scola, but can they still run? Uh, you know, with Motiunas, Jones, Patterson, um, you know, you've got Morris there. You still, you know, Parsons is going to be taking up quite a bit of small forward minutes. You've got Royce White. I haven't even mentioned in that in that uh, rotation, and you got John Lohr, You know, which he may or may not see time, obviously, but you know, you did acquire him. So to me, that that was a, a real shock. I, I did want Perry Jones there, um, Sullinger as well. I had both of them. Uh, rated higher than Terrence Jones at this spot. But, again, here I am knocking Daryl for, for selecting an undersized uh, power forward, and I'm considering at the same time considering Jared Sellinger. So, uh, you know, and, and, and Perry Jones as well, probably a power forward uh, forecast. So, to me, he, I think Daryl made a strong pick as far as talent. Terrence Jones uh, has very good upside. I mean, he's a very good defensive player, um, you know, athletic can run. He's got some range. I don't really think he's very efficient from, from deep, but he can shoot from three point range. Uh, you know, to me, if, as long as Daryl makes those moves and it sounds like he plans to, um, you know, I think that they've got, uh, I mean, I think all three of those picks were very good picks. Right. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the duplication is, is a little, uh, frustrating for, for those that are just looking at the team as currently constructed. But the fact of the matter is, this the the players that are on the roster today are not going to be the 15 players that are on the Rockets opening night regular season roster they just aren't there's going there are going to be multiple moves trades free agent signings and you know some of the rumors that that people are hearing out there about the Rockets being willing to 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 offer up just tons of pro, attaching prospects to contracts and and kind of throwing as much stuff out there as they can. Uh, it's that's even frustrating some people. But I think making a pick like a Terrence Jones affords you the luxury to trade some of your top prospects, knowing that you have other top prospects there ready to fill the hole. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, they they added another player here off, you know, quite overlooked another power forward, but a guy you won't even see at the early, you know, until 2014 at the earliest if you see him at all. Uh, but that, but that's uh, Furkan Aldemir, the, the 53rd pick of the draft that they acquired from the Clippers. Uh, you know they didn't get Dwight Howard, but the, apparently they got the Turkish Dwight Howard this night. So it's a guy who can rebound, uh, you know, do some of the dirty work inside. I think he's about measure six nine. Um, you know, I've watched. I, I didn't know much about him. I've watched some clips. Uh, he looks like he might be okay. I mean, he's a guy who's pretty tough. He's uh, he's not super thick, but he uh, looks pretty strong and wiry. Um, he's active, you know. So I, as far as uh, you know, post players, maybe you got a, a a poor man's Omer Ashik here. Yeah, I mean, I actually relative to the draft position. So take this with a grain of salt. I was actually thrilled with the Aldemir pick. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on Turkish basketball, but. Um, you know, from everything I'd read about him, he was a guy who some people considered uh, a possible late first-round pick, and that the only thing that caused him to slip to the second round was his contract status in Europe. That um, you know, I believe he he doesn't have an NBA out until 2014 at the earliest. But with the Rockets and the number of young prospects they have, they can afford to wait on this kid. You know, he may never come to the NBA, or he may come a few years down the line. Or they may be able to flip him in two or three years and get more than what they gave up. And, and that's actually another issue I want to kind of commend the Rockets front office and Les Alexander. I, people, a lot of people on the board like to give Les Alexander a hard time, but the man will spend money to help the team. And this is one of those occasions where there was nothing to lose. The, the new CBA has a maximum $3 million allotment of cash. And a team cannot spend more than $3 million in cash as a throw into any trade during a season. Well, the draft is two days before the end of the season, and the Rockets still had a chunk of change left over in their allotment. 
So rather than just sit on that cash and you're not able to add it to your allotment for this for this coming season, they spent it, got a good prospect they can stash overseas, and has put their assets to use. I just think it was great asset management. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so I, this is a guy we won't see uh, for a while, but um, you know he's obviously going to give us another uh, Donatus Motiunas to talk about for a while on the board. Uh, <laughs> Vegas Summer League coming up here July 13th. Uh, it's the first game, and I mean, just look at this roster. This team is going to wreck shop. You got Donatus Motiunas, you've got Royce White, Jeremy Lamb, Terrence Jones, you've got Goran Dragic's brother, Zoran Dragic, uh, and you've added a player which was honestly, David, to me, surprising. They ended up getting Scott Machado out of Iona. He went undrafted. It's a six foot two point guard, uh, led the nation in assists, almost 10, 10 per game. Um, he was in demand. Several teams called him. Uh, and to me, for the Rockets to end up getting him, uh, that says something. I mean, I think that says, you know, probably to, uh, to him that there's going to be a real opportunity here to be a backup. And it, to me, it's yet another indication that Kyle Lowry is going to be traded. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I, I, I definitely think Machado and his agent think there may be an opportunity there. Um, you know, if, if, if the, the last several years for the Rockets have taught us anything, it's that uh, the, the quickest way to get a big contract is to be a backup point guard for the Rockets. Uh, Aaron Brooks, Kyle Lowry, Goran Dragic, you know, maybe Machado sees himself as the next in, in that succession. But, uh, but you know, he, he's definitely a great get, a guy that amazingly went undrafted, um, you know, one of the best point guards in the country in, in college basketball last year and, you know, a guy would not be the least bit surprised if he makes the the final 15 man roster for the regular season. You know, kind of a similar quality player, not necessarily his game, but a similar quality player to Jeremy Lin last year, who you know before he broke out was still a very solid third point guard that you would you wouldn't hesitate to to have him on your rosters as solid depth. Right, and I should clarify that that uh, you know. I just think it's a sign that, um, you know, behind the scenes they feel that there's one point guard they're going to have here, not that the Rockets have Machado, so therefore they can trade Lowry, just in case there was any confusion there. But, um, yeah, I mean, then that's going to be an interesting time. I mean, it's I'm going to try to attend, um, you know, this year up in Vegas. I'm looking forward to that. Um, a lot of fans from the board are going as well. should be a great time. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we're going to have, uh, there's going to be a lot going on. The, the moratorium is lifted on the 11th. The games start on the 13th. Um, there's going to be all kinds of executives there and, um, coaches. I think it's, it's going to be an active time for the NBA. Um, but there's, you know, another big item here that we really need to talk about, uh, a couple of them actually, but, uh, Last night, uh, it was reported that, uh, that the Rockets and Omer Sheik have uh, come to terms on a contract, a three-year deal uh, worth a little over $25 million. I think that, you know, initially most people looked at that as a, a shock. That's that's quite a bit of money um, for a guy who's been a backup. Um, so I, I ask you, was he worth it? Maybe. <laughs> I know that's a noncommittal response, but the fact of the matter is he's a restricted free agent. And if you want to pry a restricted free agent away from his team, you're going to have to overpay. Uh, I think the Rockets are hoping that the player that Ashik will develop into will be worth that money. Uh, he's still a little raw, very raw on the offensive end, but he is an absolutely elite defensive center. He's 26 years old, and he may be one of the 10 best defensive players in the league. So, <laughs> That's high you know, praise right there. That's yeah, and, and and I think it illustrates how Daryl really finds these guys that are. And I don't want to say uh, Omar Ashik is is uh, undervalued. I think the Bulls certainly knew he was valuable. A lot of people who follow the league know he's valuable. But the the shock around the league that this guy would get you know over eight million a season on average um, goes to show you that perhaps they don't value him. Uh, enough because if he is a guy who can come in and give you 30 minutes a night which he hasn't proven yet but again he's been playing behind Joakim Noah how can he prove that um and he and he's able to provide that kind of defense and I agree with you you watch him 
Uh, he's all over the place. He's very active, uh, gets his hand on a lot of, uh, you know, shots and balls that go up. Um, he, I think if the Rockets are able to get him, if the Bulls don't match, I mean, you've got a guy. He, he turns 26, I believe, on Wednesday. He's young. You've got him for three years. Um, and you've got uh, a center now. I mean, let's, that's not something they've had. I mean, they, obviously they had a couple of patches last year with Camby and D'Alembert, but now you're going to have a guy that, uh, you know, he has his knocks, as you pointed out, offensively extremely challenged. You know, I think it's going to become a real issue in the, you know, four or five minutes left in close games. You can't have a guy out there who's shooting uh, 45% from the free throw line. Uh, you know, and you can say the same thing, frankly, about Royce White. I mean, that, that presents a problem, but, uh, you know, he's going to have to work on that. But as you pointed out, defensively, this is a guy who's elite, especially on the pick and roll. Yeah, no, he, I mean, he, he definitely will add that missing element. I mean, I think what Rockets fans were, were hoping that D'Alembert could be as a defender. I think Ashik is and he's younger. And, you know, quite honestly, you know, people, people see, oh, he's making over eight million a year. That's, that's ridiculous. But if you really look at what starting veteran centers in the NBA are making, that's pretty close to market value right there. Uh, will the Bulls match? What do you think? That's, that's a tough one. They, they, they're saying all the right things in the media claiming, you know, they can do this, that, and the other to, to, to match. But I'll tell you, uh, John Hollinger has a, an excellent piece on ESPN, um, that goes in, into more depth on this, but the Rockets masterfully structured this contract. Um, Ashik is a, a two-year veteran, second-round pick, and um, is subject to what is widely known as the Gilbert Arenas rule, which essentially limits the starting salary that other teams can offer uh, in, in offer sheets. But what it allows a team to do is to have a kind of a balloon payment in the third year. Um, when they created this this rule, they kind of envisioned four or five or six year contracts back when the old CBA allowed longer deals, and and the the impact of that balloon payment could be kind of mitigated over the the last two or three years of the deal. But by making it a three-year offer instead of a four-year, you're kind of condensing the balloon into one single lump sum payment in year three. And with the, that happens to be when the, the quote-unquote repeater luxury tax kicks in under the new CBA. It is about as painful as you could possibly make an offer sheet for another to, to keep another team from matching it. So the way the Rockets did this was just fantastic just from a strategic standpoint uh, the good news is that the cap treatment for the rockets it's a three-year deal worth 25 million it's going to be eight point a little under 8.4 million in each of the three years that's it's a, a a consistent cap hit in three years in no single year will it kill the rockets cap the payments however will be about five million year one, a little more than five in year two, and then it's going to balloon to about fifteen million in the third year. And for the Bulls, not only is that the payment schedule, that's also the cap hit. So in 2014-2015, they're going to have Derrick Rose making super max money, Carlos Boozer making near max money, Joe Kim Noah making eight figures himself, and then this massive balloon payment to Ashik. It's going to be very painful if they match. So, you know, they're saying all the right things. Long story short, I just don't see how they can match it and look themselves in the mirror and say we're doing the fiscally responsible thing. <laughs> you know, you, you look at the draft, too, and uh, and you, you see how many GMs just outright lie about things, and I think the same thing applies here to restricted free agency. I mean, the Rockets do this, the Bulls do this, everybody does this with their restricted free agent. We are going to match any offer, you know, make it, you say it as loud and as many times as you can say it, uh, get it out there. Um, that's what the Bulls did. Um, they didn't, you know, obviously didn't want to lose him, but uh, the Rockets, as you pointed out, structured it in such a way that, uh, you know, if they do match, it's going to be quite painful for them. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I salute Daryl on this one. I mean, if... Uh, you know, if, if Ashik is, is really worth this contract, I mean, they, they have put
put it together in such a fashion that uh, they may actually pull it off. You know, obviously this is a big offer sheet for for Omar Ashik. What does this mean for for Dragic for Courtney Lee? Well, um, yeah, I was trying to crunch the numbers on my uh, on my little salary cap spreadsheet. I, I keep on my computer, and you know, I kept arriving at the same conclusion that. Uh, I know John Hollinger had a certain formula where the Rockets could create the room to make the offer, but I, I actually think his numbers may be a little bit off. Um, really, the 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 way that the the offer set up, it would you need to have about 8.37 million in cap room, and if you were to waive Courtney Fortson and Damon Simpson, they they seem like the most likely guys to get waived with their non-guaranteed deals. And then you remove Courtney Lee's cap hold, you get to exactly 8.37 million. So, you know, the, the numbers are kind of telling me, again, this is pure speculation on my part, but the numbers are kind of telling me that, um, to make this offer work, they're going to have to, they're going to have to, to, to let Courtney Lee walk. Um, and, and also to Marcus Camby, by the way. It, to have any cap room, they're going to have to, to renounce the rights to Marcus Camby. doesn't mean you can't bring these guys back, but it just means you lose bird rights to them. Uh, and in Courtney Lee's case, you'd lose his re- restricted free agent status. Now, now, one thing to keep in mind, though, is that um, when you're making an offer sheet that requires you to renounce your rights to, to some of your free agents, if the other team matches, you can, you can rescind the renouncement. So if... For some reason, the, the Rockets, they, they renounce the rights to Marcus Camby, they renounce the rights to Courtney Lee, they make this offer, and then the Bulls match three days later. They can get the Bird rights back to Camby and Lee, um, hoping, of course, that those guys didn't sign with other teams during that three-day period. So it's something to keep in mind. doesn't mean for sure you lose Courtney Lee or Marcus Camby, but m- most likely um, if, if, if the Bulls don't match the opposite to Ashik, it, it's quite likely Courtney Lee will be gone. You know, and it leads to this other target. They met yesterday with Eric Gordon, uh, you know, here, and we, we knew for a while that they were um, going to be, you know, they, they had an interest in him and we're going to try to pursue him. How do they make this work now uh, with the Ashik signing? Is that, uh, is that possible? Um, as a free agent signing, no. I mean, I, I think the, the Rocket strategy here is use their cap room to get Ashik and then attempt to do a sign and trade for Eric Gordon. Um, you know, I know there have been there have been several rumors out there that the Rockets are offering the Hornets, Kevin Martin, and their pick of among the the Rockets' top prospects. Um, you know, Patterson, Morris, Lamb, White, Jones. You know, a- any assortment of those guys. Because I think they really do like Eric Gordon, and and that's really the only way they could feasibly get him. Uh, and I think there's there's some there's maybe legs to this because uh, the Hornets, you know, they they had Gordon for one year and he missed almost the entire season to injury, so they're they're obviously a little nervous about giving the the max salary, which which by the way we throw around max salary, it may be a little confusing to a lot of people. Um, because Eric Gordon is only a four-year veteran, his max salary is really only about, I say only, but is really only about $13 million. It's not like $20 million you see for some of the older veterans. So, um, uh, the, But the Hornets are still a little apprehensive about paying him that much money. Um, we know that Dell Demps, the Hornets GM, really likes Kevin Martin. I mean, he traded for him in December before uh, David Stern, the, Horn, the then Hornets' own de facto owner, uh, vetoed his own general manager. Uh, so, so we know Demps likes Kevin Martin. And to get Kevin Martin, who's still, you know, a lot of fans on the board don't really like Kevin Martin, but he's still a very good offensive player. And more importantly, he's in the last year of his deal. So the financial commitment to him is not nearly as great as you make to Eric Gordon. Uh, that doesn't level the playing field there yet, but you add in all these prospects, and then I think the deal starts to make a lot more sense for New Orleans. So uh, I think the Rockets are banking on on Dell Demps viewing this as an overall positive deal for the Hornets, and um, and then possibly getting a sign and trade for Gordon. Ah, thank you. That actually breaks it down pretty uh, pretty well. You know, I, Gordon. Uh, you know, I, I look at him as 
Love him. Great player. He's obviously undersized, uh, you know, for a two guard in my view, but, uh, you know, very, very good player. He's the main knock on him is the, you know, injuries. I mean, he's a guy who can hit from three point range. Uh, you know, he's outstanding from the free throw line. He's a very good scorer. He put up over 22 points a game his last year with the Clippers. And, you know, of course, last year only played nine games because he was in, you know, out most of the year, but still, you know, was pushing 21 points a game for the Hornets. So, uh, I mean, you add him, uh, I mean, you've got a legit all-star caliber two guard. Uh, so I, it's just a bit of a risk with that injury situation. You know, if you look at him as well, you know, is, if, and you end up getting Ashik, I mean, is that a play? I mean, I would assume it's a playoff team, but how good is that team? I mean, you, you, you bring back Dragic, Gordon as your two guard, uh, you're running Parsons. Uh, what, you know, whether they end up dumping Skull or not, I don't know, but you could choose any one of, uh, half dozen, uh, power forwards to start. Um, and <laughs> you, you've got Omer Ashik. So, you know, how, how good is that team in your view? Um, I honestly don't know. I mean, I think that right now the, the, the roster, even if you, if you count the, the Ashik and Gordon acquisitions, if, if they come to fruition, you know, it's kind of a work in progress. The, you know, the beautiful thing here is, is we're, you know, we're talking about this Ashik edition. We're talking about a, a, at least the possibility of a sign and trade for Eric Gordon. Um, you can bring in these two new additions and you still have the flexibility to make a Dwight Howard trade. And it, now it could be Dwight Howard. It could be some other all-star we're not even thinking of, but the way the roster has been assembled, Again, you know, people boo, boo during the draft because we have so many power forwards, but this is such a collection of assets. And I know we've kind of been desensitized to that word, but, um, that the Rockets are in a position to make these kind of multiple moves like this. Of course, the other team has to be willing to make the deal, but, um, you know, this is, this kind of is why we keep hearing why, why Daryl Morey is, is still pursuing Dwight Howard, even though you know, Dwight's doing everything he can to turn off any suitor that's not named the Brooklyn Nets. Um, that there's just so many things this team can do, even after an Ashik move and a Gordon move. So, you know, to, to kind of view that as the finished product, you, you, you can't necessarily even do that. I mean, there's just so many moves to be made. I think uh, one thing that's probably not being discussed enough is the writing on the wall right now for Courtney Lee uh, and his future with the Rockets. Uh, you know, they've, here they are, they've drafted Jeremy Lamb, clearly in the upper tier uh, of two guards out of this draft, using a, a, a good lottery pick on him. Uh, and they're pursuing Eric Gordon as their starting two guard, uh, uh, you know, clearly. So to me, uh, granted, they could still be making a trade. They could still be trading Lamb, quite possible, uh, especially when the Dwight Howard pursuit is still out there. Um, but does this price the Rockets out of getting Courtney Lee when they have two guys that you would expect to be rotation worthy? Um, if you're bringing in Gordon and keeping Lamb, then yeah, I think, I think that, that probably spells the end. Um, Courtney's one of my favorite players. I, I think he's just a great all around player and I'd be really sad to see him leave. But at the same time, um, you know, the Rockets have to upgrade the quality at any position they can. And, you know, as much as I love Courtney, Eric Gordon is just a, is just a better player than he is. And Jeremy Lamb has the potential to be a better player than Courtney Lee. And with the money that Courtney Lee's probably going to command on the free agent market, I just don't know if it makes a ton of sense to keep him around. Now, if Eric Gordon falls through, if Omer Ashik falls through and you, you know, you find yourself with more cap flexibility, uh, and can, can get Courtney on a reasonable deal. You know, I, I've, I've always been saying until maybe 24 hours ago, there's no way Courtney Lee leaves because I just think that, that the Rockets will match any, any reasonable offer. But, you know, you, you kind of see some of these offers that, that the restricted free agents are getting and, and it's, it's quite likely that Courtney may price himself out of the market for the Rockets, especially given where they are right now in the, the pecking order of the league. Well, you know, on, on draft night, I mean, you know, we've known for a while. I'd already been told, you know, sometime back that they were going after Dwight. So wasn't a shock, but um, sure enough, that was absolutely confirmed. What they were doing that night was all geared towards Dwight Howard uh, on draft night. And it didn't work out, you know, to move up. And I don't know what it is that they, they needed. I don't necessarily think Orlando 
told the Rockets, hey, you need to get this guy or you need to get this pick. I don't think that happened because I don't think that they that there was going to be a Dwight Howard trade on draft night. I think the Rockets were just trying to acquire as much top-level talent as they could um, to sort of, you know, load up, if you will, for that trade. Um, but that's that's what they – I mean, that was made abundantly clear, you know, if you will, that that's what they were doing. Um, so to me, though, and again, nobody's told me this. I'm just speculating. If they're going to – if, you know, Chicago does not match that offer and they get Omer Ashik, I mean – do you really want to do that? Bring in a nineteen million dollar center, and your backup now is is an eight million dollar guy. Well, you know that's all the more beauty to this uh, Gilbert Arenas treatment for um, for Omar Ashik. Uh, even though he's counting about eight point four million towards the cap, you're only paying him five million in year one. So the actual salary hit um, is only going to be five million. Even because by, by the time you're trading for Dwight Howard, you're already over the cap, so cap room's irrelevant here. Uh, you know, if you're talking about the pain of paying the money, um, it, it's you're actually paying Ashik less than he counts against the cap in years one and two, uh, and then in year three you're paying him just a ton of money, uh, even though he still only counts 8.4 million against the cap. Um, I think the view there, I, I could totally envision a scenario where they bring in Ashik and Howard. Uh, you can have Ashik uh, back up Howard uh, for that one year, and if Howard walks, you know, so be it. You still have Omar Ashik, who would be an above-average starting center in the league anyway. Um, but if you can keep Howard, well, that's a game changer right there. Yeah, that's true. Good, yeah, good point. Even though you had and, mentioned, and, 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 and let me add this: you you can also trade Omar Ashik next year and right. get something of value for him. Exactly, and you, and you nailed it. I, you know, I averaged it out to eight million, and you had il- you had illustrated earlier the the breakdown of annual salary, so I should have thought of that. But um, right, so I guess it shouldn't kill it. Uh, but for me, here I was, you know, looking at uh, Chicago as in, geez, can they really pay a little over twenty million for two centers? And you know, the Rockets would be in this scenario paying twenty four, twenty five million, um, even at a five million dollar salary. So. But you're right. I mean, the Dwight Howard situation, if they were to get Dwight, is um, is going to be wide open. But, again, it, it's just so funny to me how, you know, and I've gone on Orlando radio a couple times the first time. I mean, they were like, well, what can Houston give? And, you know, to them, they just couldn't see, uh, from an Orlando perspective, anything on Houston's roster, which would be appealing, really, to them. Um and now the way it's breaking out, it's like Houston is is gonna win this just by, just on uh, pieces alone. Now, granted, if LA re- is really coming in with Bynum, then it just depends on how uh, the Magic, you know, view Bynum because he this is a guy who's already getting paid a ton of money, and he has. I mean, he's obviously a a, a load down low. I mean, he's a, he's a good, very very good player, um, but you know. If, He's already a max salary guy, so if he's not necessarily worth it, that you know they they may not go that route either. So um, I, I think Houston offers a tremendous amount of flexibility, and, and as you know, assets, assets, assets. They've got uh, tons of them right now, uh, as far as players that that they can offer. So uh, you know, I think if it, if it's going to come down to it, I think Houston's going to be right in the thick of, th- of the things here, just like as they were at the trade deadline. No, I agree completely. I mean, I think. The there is a line you kind of had to straddle between preserving cap flexibility versus dumping salary to to just have a ton of cap room. Because if if the Rockets had taken the approach that uh, some other teams had was okay, we're slashing salary, we want to have thirty million dollars in cap room. Well, this kind of plan wouldn't work with just a bunch of cap room. You know, the the new CBA has more lax salary matching rules. So, you know, use Kevin Martin's contract, for example, he's $12 million contract. Well, if you, you know, dump them for nothing or if you amnesty waive them, yeah, you may create $12 million in cap space, but that's $12 million and not a penny more. Whereas if you were to trade Kevin Martin's contract, you could bring back $17 million in salary on that contract alone. Or if you combine it with some others, you may be able to bring back Twenty million dollars for that. Um, so, so kind of straddling that line really is going to help the Rockets if if this all plays out. If they end up doing a Dwight Howard trade, 
it's probably because they straddled that line. Whereas if they had just gone for dumping everybody, have max cap, just tons of cap room, I don't know if they could have pulled that off. You know, slightly on that topic as well, if the Bulls somehow do, you know, come up with a way here to match, uh, you know, Omer Ashik and just say to themselves, hey, you know, let's match now. We'll figure this out here as far as trades, uh, you know, moving forward. Uh, what do you think the, <laughs> the chances are of, uh, of Joakim Noah going on the block. I mean, I, I would say have, I would have said slim, but I can tell you for a fact that uh, Daryl Morey loves Joakim Noah. Um, you know, the Rockets uh, just love his, his, you know his talents and what he could provide here. Um, do you think that's a guy if they match could they could say, hey, Ashik's are now going to be our starter and let's let's get tremendous value here for Joakim Noah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Noah's a guy who he, he makes quite a bit of money. I think he's Average contract averages out to like 12 million a year for the next four years. So uh, you got quite a lot of money in Noah. Um, you know, great defensive player. Obviously, a lot more polished offensively than 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 Ashik. Um, yeah, I could totally see the Rockets making a play like that, kind of forcing the Bulls' hand and then taking advantage, so to speak, uh, to get you know Noah, who who's probably a you know, top top 10 or 15 center at least. And, uh, you know, if he continues to develop, could be, you know, could move up that list in the top ten. Um, I would not put that past the Rockets. Again, you know, trying to peg exactly what they're going to do is is almost impossible. David, hey, great stuff. Really appreciate the insight. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today, and let's do it again soon. I, I'd love to. Anytime you'll have me. Thanks a lot, Dave. That was Bima Thug. Always provides uh, some good insight on the Rockets. Uh, feel free to fire away in the comments what you like, what you don't like about the podcast. This is new for us, and uh, we appreciate you listening. Maybe we'll uh, do this again from uh, Vegas Summer League. Maybe, maybe no. Okay, thank you very much. But uh, Summer League is going to be a great time. Uh, lots of things going on there. Lots of great stories. I think every diehard Rockets fan loves Summer League, and uh, and this year's uh, unquestionably the best we've ever, probably ever had. So lots of great stories, and we'll be coming back at you from there. Take care, everyone. Yeah.